Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you for our time together. I know we waited up last night, or we got up early this morning, and we saw the bad news. Cebu is going to be total lockdown for another two weeks. Large sections of Manila proper will be locked down over the weekend completely. We're still under general quarantine in the rest of the national capital region. And I know that when you get up this morning, you don't want to hear that. I mean, you just wonder, will this thing ever, ever end? I think you're beginning to understand the plague that sticks from Deuteronomy chapter 28. When this began, I told you this was going to be a marathon, not a sprint. But God is with us, and it will be well with us. We will come to the end of this thing, and it will be well with us. Psalms chapter 91, beginning with verse 1. Please allow me to read it to you today. I love the kids, but sometimes I just want to read this to you. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord. Now, that's what you need to be saying today. In spite of what your heart feels like, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on lion and adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Are you holding fast to God in love? Clinging with all of your heart in love to him? Then he promises, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is going to pass and it will be well with you. Brothers and sisters, this is going to pass and it will be well with you. Many of you living in the downtown area, you're going, oh my goodness, Saturday and Sunday, I can't even go to Fortress 91. Yeah, they're locking everybody in their houses. Large numbers of barangay downtown, Saturday and Sunday. Sabu, bless their hearts. Brothers and sisters, I know it's discouraging. And the longer it lasts and the more we keep getting delays, the more discouragement sets in. Now tonight, and probably for the rest of the week, 
I'm going to interrupt our series in 1 Corinthians. It's kind of our review series, getting ready for the reopening of services. Ah! But that's kind of pointless right now. We've got another two weeks. So what I'm going to do starting tonight is begin to come live, just like we did in the first, what, six or seven weeks of all of this. Sister Bev and I will sit here every night with you, and I'm going to start on a little series on overcoming discouragement. You cannot just let discouragement stay in your soul. So you tell everybody, join us tonight at 7 o'clock. You get on the phone, you text your friends, you gather the family together around the TV set like we did in the early days. You get home and come straight home from work tonight because many of you are already back at work. And we're going to gather around the scriptures together. How do we overcome discouragement? How do we live an encouraged life? Let's go to worship.
I'm doing things a little differently today because, I mean, either you stayed up last night and watched it or you got up this morning and saw the news. Um, difficult. We all admit that. But I told you what I do every morning. When my attitude begins to get difficult, I Google Brazil COVID-19 and I look at the death count in Brazil as of today. As of today, it's closing on 59,000 dead. They have more people die in a day than we have had die in this entire situation. Now, I know that's, you know, you're not, I know it sounds crass to make such comparisons, and I don't mean to sound crass. But what I do mean is to highlight, thank God, thank God, okay? I mean, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine the mass graves in Metro Manila. I mean, how would we feel if we dug up big fields in Paranaque with bulldozers and buried tens of thousands of people? I mean, I'm afraid my, my tender heart just would have a struggle with that one. But brothers and sisters, I know it's difficult. I know it's really easy to be angry at the government right now. But thank God. Thank God the death toll has been so low. Now, one is too many. Yes, I understand. But thank God. So in spite of the fact that we chafe at this, in spite of what it has done to our lifestyles, our businesses, our careers, I want you to remember a couple of things. God will bless you. God will restore everything that the locusts have destroyed. Everything that this thing has destroyed, God will restore. But I also want you to remember that this stuff of this life, it's nothing. I don't care what kind of a house you have in this world. You, you can have the biggest mansion in Forbes Park. It's irrelevant in eternity. You can have a fleet of Mercedes-Benz's S-Class and Lamborghinis, but it's irrelevant in eternity. Only what is done for Christ will last. So let me challenge you again. Number one, I beg of you, please, be very careful with your words about the government. And be very careful with your criticism. I, I beg of you, please. I'm not asking you to agree with everything the government does. They're humans just like everybody else. But let's let's not stir things up. We we don't want we don't want thing we don't want a bad situation worse. All right. So let's not stir things up. Let's just let's just get through this in Jesus' name. And we can have political differences at a later point in time, okay? Right now, let, let's just pull together as a people. As Christians, let's let's help everybody pull together as a nation and let's watch our words and let's not be critical. We be as critical as you want when it's all over, okay, please. But right now, let's just pull together with the government and let's get through this. Let's get through this in Jesus' name. We can have our differences later, but right now, let's pull together. So I, I beg of you, I know there are things that you've been seeing on the news that make you mad and you want to say this and you want to say that, but can I just ask you, keep your, your Facebook things kind of just sweet and you keep your Twitter feeds sweet and you, you keep your Instagram sweet. Just let, let's just, in this time, let's not be critical about the government. Let's just point people to Jesus, please. Okay, please. Um, let's get through this in Jesus' name. Say, Pastor, why are you saying it so strongly? Because 
you know, I never have been much on Facebook, but these days I oftentimes sit in the car or late at night when everything is done, Sister Bev and I are watching Stargate or something, and I'll, I'll go through the Facebook and woo, some of you, woo. Okay, let's just leave that for when this is over. Please, beloved, please, let's just get through this together. And emphasis on the word together in Jesus' name. All right, we've got a great testimony for you. COP Americas Obade, youth choir from COP North Campus. I would like to share my testimony. Ako po ay pangatlo sa aming limang magkakapatid at kasalukuyan po ako nasa first year college. Maganda po yung pagsisimula ng buy-in-sell ko bago po magkaroon ng enhanced community quarantine. Almost everyday po ako nakakabenta ng cellphone mga isa hanggang tatlo kada araw. Pero pagpasok po ng ECQ, naging limitado yung mga transaction ko dahil sa pagbabawal na lumabas ng walang importanteng ginagawa. Pero napakabuti pa din ng Diyos dahil ngayon po ay araw-araw pa rin nakakabenta at favor na binigyan niya ako ng bagong supplier na madaling makausap na hindi ko na kailangan maglabas ng puhunan. At diretsyo agad yung tubo sa akin. Mas na nagamit ko pa yung puhunan ko para makapagbenta ko ng ibang items katulad ng bola, beauty products, kape, tinapay, puto at iba pa. Kahit po sa panahon ng crisis ay mas binless po ako ni Lord na malaking tulong ito sa... Um, papa ko na no work, no pay ngayong ECQ. Napakabuti ni Lord dahil di niya po ako pinabayaan. Gaya sa sinabi sa Philippians 4 verse 19, And my God will supply every needs of yours according to His riches and glory. To God be all the glory. Amen. Well, let's get into Acts chapter 18 today, verse 1. After this, after Paul was there in Athens. Now remember, Athens is a very small place, about 5,000 people present. Uh, did have a synagogue, but by this point in time, remember, Paul had run out of money by the time he got to Thessalonica, all right? He was working to support himself. He got kicked out of Thessalonica, never got to settle in Berea, and now he went to Athens. You know, Paul's just, he's out, okay? He's at zero. So when Paul says, I know how to abound and I know how to have nothing, Paul literally understood that. Now, it's not because of poor budget, it's because He'd planned to do a trip up through Galatia and then return to his home church, but instead, God sent him across to Macedonia. And Paul learned a great lesson of faith, that where God leads, God provides. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, he's broke. The way that you get from Athens to Corinth is you walk, or you take a horse or a mule. Probably Paul walked. He's broke. That's an 80-kilometer walk. So when Paul gets there, he's not looking very good. In fact, other areas tell us that when he arrived there, he was broke and he was, was pretty beat up physically. He left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now notice, Jewish persecution. This is, this is nothing new. Jewish persecution. It's its nothing new. In fact, you know, in the revived Roman Empire, which will be the Antichrist Empire, he will lead the greatest persecution the Jews have ever seen. After three and a half years of peace, he'll turn on them. So, you know, Roman persecution of the Jew is pretty common. So they were persecuted and forced out of Rome. And Paul went to see them. And because he worked the same trade, Paul was from Cilicia. This is where they made the cloth for the tents. Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Now, this, this is a beautiful truth that you get a hold of. Uh, Paul was not only trained intellectually, he was trained in a trade. My, my father, when he got a hold of me when I was 14, 
he, he figured out I was pretty smart and was going to go to college. And I guess I was the first one in my family to graduate college. Um, it, my, my father recognized, okay, you're going to make your money with your brains. And my dad was extremely smart. And he said, David, I make my money with my brains, but I can also work with my hands. And he said, as a man, you have to always provide for a family. Now, th this is the Judeo-Christian work ethic. I mean, we, you should, you, every young person should know how to make money with their head and with their hands. Okay, this is, this is very important in long-term prosperity for a family. Every young person must be trained to make money with their head and make money with their hands. He was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Shabbat and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. So six days a week, he would work making tents. That was his trade. Paul had learned that as a young man in Cilicia. On Shabbat, he would go to the synagogue and he would work on persuading the Jews and the Greeks. Now, he had to do this because he had to eat, okay, in you know, forgive me, but Paul had nothing at that point in time. When Paul, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, verse 5, Paul was occupied with the word. Another translation says Paul gave himself full time to the word. Now, so we have several months that Paul worked to support himself and preach in the synagogue at the same time. But when Paul and Silas arrived, they would have brought support from Philippi and other places that we've learned about in other passages. And Paul was able to give himself full time to the work. And when they testified to the Jews that Christ was Jesus, and when they opposed and reviled him, now notice they didn't just oppose Paul, they reviled him, they mocked him, they ridiculed him. Uh, people who oppose you will never just oppose what you're doing. They'll never stand just in opposition to you. They always want to destroy you. They reviled him. When he saw that they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, for I am innocent. From now on I go to the Gentiles. Now he's referring there to Ezekiel 18, that you must warn a wicked man of his wicked ways, you must warn a righteous man of his wicked ways, or their blood will be on your head. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Now, notice, the ruler of the synagogue, and we're going to come back to him in a minute, has believed in the Lord and his whole household. Have you ever noticed how often the scriptures teach that the whole household was saved? During this COVID-19 thing, this has been a great opportunity for you between the services at night and devotions in the morning to get the whole household saved. And when we come back into services the whole family come and worship together. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized, all right? So they believed and they were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, so God gave Paul a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. Now notice the specific promises in this vision that God made to Paul. He's been imprisoned in Philippi, and not just put in prison, put in the place where you just rot and die. Okay, He's been thrown out of Thessalonica. He's been thrown out of Berea. He's got these people reviling him and opposing him to his face. Paul has not lasted very long any place he's been because of the Jews persecuting him. 
But notice God says, don't be afraid. So Paul had a little fear coming in his heart. He was a human being just like me and you. He said, go on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. So God said, listen, Paul, I'm with you. And Paul, I have a lot of people that belong to me in this city, and they're going to help protect you too. So now that, that's some beautiful truth, how God encourages a preacher who's getting concerned again. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, that's the entire province, the Jews made a unified attack on Paul. So all the Jews from all the synagogues of Achaia, that would have been from Athens, from Synchreia, from Corinth, all the Jews, they made a unified attack on Paul. Corinth was where the governor would have stayed, the proconsul would have stayed. They made a unified attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. <laughs> but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or of a vicious crime, O oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be the judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And notice he didn't ask them to leave. He drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Now, there's several things I want you to see here. Notice Crispus is no longer the ruler of the synagogue. Sosthenes is. Crispus paid a price for believing in Jesus. Let me say that again. Crispus paid a price. He lost his position of authority. He lost his status in the community. To be the ruler of the synagogue was about the highest status you could have in a Jewish community. He lost his position. He lost his status in the Jewish community. He lost everything to follow Jesus. Now, now sometimes you, forgive me, you and I, we're, we're, we're too worried about um, what people think of us. We're too worried about if people find out that we're a devout Christian, that, um, you know, we won't get our promotion or this or that or the other. You know what? Straight up. If you're going to really follow Jesus, you're going to pay a price. I'm sorry. You're going to pay a price. Crispus paid a price. Now, Sosthenes also learned a lesson. Sosthenes learned that um, when you're the leader and you can't get done what people want, they take it out on you. <laughs> When Sosthenes could not get their achieved result, they beat him. They were gonna, they were gonna take their frustration out on somebody, so they took it out on Sosthenes. Verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. Now, why Syria? Antioch of Assyria. He's going home to his own home church. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, which was the, a major port city there, just not too far from Corinth, at Sincrea he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. So Paul made vows. So when people tell you today Christians shouldn't make vows, well, Paul made a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay a longer period, he declined. 
But on taking his leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Now later, Paul returns and starts a revival in Ephesus that shakes the entire section of the world, all of what was then called Asia. But the timing was not yet right. Now, this is the second time he's been in Asia. First, when he was on his way to Troas, the Holy Spirit did not let him come down into what we would call the area of the seven churches, what was then called Asia. And now he goes to Ephesus, which is the leading city on the southern part of what we call the area of the seven churches. And again, God does not want him to stay there. So he preaches a little bit of the synagogue, and then he leaves. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. Now, notice, he has left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. So he's left somebody to do a little planting and a little watering there. Things had to, the ground has to be prepared. When he landed at Caesarea, that's that first place we go when we land after arriving in Israel, he went up and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. He went to his home church. After spending some time there, he departed and went through one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Ferga, strengthening all the disciples. Now again, notice this is the first fruits of Paul's Gentile ministry is up on that Galatian plateau. Lystra, Derby, Antioch, Poseidon. And now he's going back now for the third time, strengthening those churches. You see, sometimes, brothers and sisters, you got to have a follow-up visitation ministry. And this is what Paul was doing, a follow-up visitation ministry in those churches. Verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is the greatest educational center in the world at that time. It is also the center for Hellenistic Judaism, Greek Judaism. It is where the, um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint was written. Probably it is where Jesus spent his early childhood days when he went down into Egypt. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, named after Alexander the Great, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Now, when we talk about scriptures here, remember, we're talking about the Old Testament. So I'm gonna see, you're going to see the scriptures here mentioned several times. Remember, this is the Old Testament. So when people tell you today, don't preach anything in the Old Testament, what do you think they preached in Paul's day? They didn't have the book of Acts. They didn't have, you know, the, the letters of the Apostle Paul. Competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. In other words, they, they taught him the rest of it, all right? And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers, that's the Achaia province, that's Athens and Crea, Corinth, and when the, he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. So notice, how do people have faith for salvation? By grace. <laughs> and he greatly helped them, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Now, at this point, Apollos is the perfect guy to enter into Corinth. The Jews have gone after Paul with everything they've got. And now, Paul's not such an eloquent man. He has incredible knowledge, but he's not the most eloquent debater. 
In Corinth, remember, they are the philosophers. They are the debaters and the speakers. So God sends in a man who is very competent in the scriptures. And he comes in and eloquently refutes all of the Jewish opposition to Jesus as the Messiah. So God knows exactly what he's doing. But again, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures, not by his experience, by the scriptures, by what we call today the Old Testament, that Christ was Jesus. Now, I said it once, let me say it again. There are many churches today, there are many Christian leaders today that tell you the Old Testament is irrelevant, uh, you don't need to read it, don't bother with it. But if when you study the New Testament, you see that they're always teaching what we call today the Old Testament. So maybe we should be a little bit more careful about reading exactly what the Bible says and not listening to sloganized Christianity. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
First Chronicles, chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and with every leader. All right, just park the bus right there for a minute. Right in the margin of your Bible, good leadership consults with leadership. Not everybody's right all the time. And even if an idea is from God, it came through you, so it's not as perfect as when it started out at the throne of God. David consulted, this great warrior king, this, this man's man consulted with the commanders of thousands, the commanders with hundreds, and with every leader. Now again, you can't just consult with the highest ranks. If you really want to get the temperature of something, you've got to go all the way down through the levels of leadership. That's how you get a good, accurate reading, okay? Not just the top level, go all the way down with every leader. Verse 2, And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites and the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it all the days of King Saul. So ever since the Philistines took it down and brought it into the temple of Dagon, and Dagon fell on its face, and all these people got those hemorrhoids and things like that, and they had invasions of rats and hemorrhoids. Ever since that time, the people of Israel had not sought the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant just sat in storage. Now, can you imagine that? Remember, the Ark is from where God spoke to people, it's where the presence of God dwelled, and they just stuck it in storage for all those years. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Leboth Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. Now, what? where is Kiriath-Jerim? It's about mm, eight kilometers down the mountain from Jerusalem. Uh, it's maybe one of the last places to be excavated among the ancient areas. In fact, I think excavation only started there in around 2016, 2017. Uh, you can tell I monitor these things. Um, it's very close to Abu Ghash, where we have our final dinner on our way to the airport. Remember the big kebabs we have with the tour group? So it's very close. In fact, it's just like one of the suburbs of Abu Ghash. Now, for over 60 years, from the time of 1 Samuel 6, the people of God have not sought the presence of God. They've not sought the Ark of the Covenant. Wow. So here it is. It's just eight clicks down the mountain from Jerusalem. And David and all of Israel went up to Baala, that is kiriath Jiriam, which belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart. Now, why did they do this? 
Well, they would have asked, how did it arrive here? It arrived on a new cart. Remember? Remember when the ark came back, they put it in a new cart, and they put it in a cow that had just given birth to calves, and the cows walked completely away from their calves, very unnatural. Remember the stories and how they all fit together. So you, you cannot get mad at them because they put it in a new cart, because that's how the Philistines returned it to them. And it's been a generation and a half, all right? So they don't know much about how the ark used to be taken care of by the Levites. This, this is something that's a generation and a half since anybody's had anything to do with it. So, you know, you can't get mad at them for making a mistake and just doing, how did it get here? Well, it came in a cart. Okay, so let's make a new cart. Let's, let's do it right. Let's make a new cart. But they didn't search the scriptures. and We'll, we'll see that in just a few minutes. So they carry the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all of Israel were rejoicing before God with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. I like that. David loved to lead worship. David loved music. And when they came to the threshing floor of Childan, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down, because he had put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before the Lord. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Now, and David was afraid of God that day. Now, I want you to notice, how often do you and I do something in complete violation of Scripture? And then when we see the consequences of that complete violation of Scripture, we get mad at God and we get afraid of God. See, see David was just like us. One of the, the most interesting books I ever read as a baby Christian was, I'm not mad at God. Because I've met so many Christians as a baby Christian who were angry at God. David was angry at God. And afraid of God. But David was the one who had done wrong. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David. But he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Remember, the ark is the presence of God. The presence brings blessing. Chapter 14, verse 1. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and also masons and carpenters to build a house for him. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. Now again, notice David's heart. The reason I am established as king and the reason that I'm successful is for the sake of of the people Israel. See, that's something every leader has to get in his heart. The reason I am successful as a pastor is not for the sake of my name, but for the sake of the people. God will make a leader successful for the sake of the people. Not leaders, you gotta get that in your heart. He will make you successful as a connect group leader for the sake of your connect group. <laughs> See, it's not about you. It's not about building your name. 
It's about God's love for his people. And David took more wives in Jerusalem, and David fathered more sons and daughters. Remember, we learned earlier that there was quite a rivalry between these two different groups of David's sons. And David fathered more sons and daughters. These were the names of the children born to him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elshua, Elphelet, Nogra, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Beelida, and Elaphelet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. They want to kill this guy. But David heard of it and went out against him. Now, here's the character of King David. He always ran to the battle. See, one of the things you learn in life is when you run from bullies, you lose and you keep running. David was never a man who ran from the battle. David was a man who ran to the battle. Just like he ran at Goliath, he runs to these guys. David heard of it and went out against them. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He went to them. You want to fight? Bring it on. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, Go up, and I will give them into your hand. And he went up to Baal Perazim, and David struck them down there. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a bursting flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. And they left many gods there, and David gave command, and they were burned. Now notice, other nations, when the idols were left behind, they took them and took them to the house of their god. This is one of those little devil's traps, all right? David could have taken their gods and taken them to the temple, and that, that's what the culture was. But they, no, no, David burned them. These were demon idols. And the Philistines yet again made a raid in the valley. And when David again inquired of God, God said to him, You shall not go up after them. Go around and come up against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as God commanded him. And they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. And the fame of David went into all the land. And the Lord brought the fear of him on all nations. Now notice, God not only gives you the victory, God shows him how to have the victory. God will show you strategy. Now, now some of you businessmen, please forgive me. I know times are very, very difficult right now. But God will show you strategy. There are businessmen right now that are going around destroying other businessmen because it's a good time to take market share. But God will show you strategy. Please hear my heart today. You need to spend more time in prayer. You need to spend more time in prayer and not just ask God what to do, but ask God how to do it. Chapter 15, verse 1. David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a, pl a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. I mean, just like the, the old tent. Then David said, no one but the Levites must carry the ark of God, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. Ah, David, so you figured this out now. <laughs> David's not stupid, everybody. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites of the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief with 120 of his brothers, of the sons of Mary. Asiah, the chief, with 220 of his brothers, 
the sons of Gershom, Joel the chief with 130 of his brothers, and of the sons of Elphan, Shemaiah the chief with 200 of his brothers, of the sons of Hebron, Elel the chief with 80 of his brothers, of the sons of Uzal, Abinadab the chief with 112 of his brothers. Then David summoned the priests, Zadok and Abathar, and the Levites, Uriel, Ashia, Joel, Shemaiah, Elel, and Abinadab, and said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. Now, you got to get a hold of this one. David learned a lesson. You seek God according to the rules. God has rules of worship. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But churches sing secular music in church today. Now, I need you to understand. You seek him according to the rule. There are rules of worship. We don't authorize, as the Bible would say, unauthorized fire. We don't bring demon gods into the house of God. We, we don't do sexy dances in the house of God. There's things we just don't do. And, and brothers and sisters, you've got to understand that worship does have rules. Okay? And you, prayer does have rules. Seeking God does have rules. You don't just do whatever you jolly well please. You seek God by the rules. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers who would play loudly on the musical instruments, on the harps, the lyres, and the cymbals, to raise sounds of joys. All right. What does worship music sound like? Well, it's loud and it's sounds of joy. Now, please forgive me. I don't understand. People say, Pastor Summerall, what, what do you listen to the most? Well, probably Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I, I love especially their newer albums. I, you know, I am reminded. I love listening to Sinatch. Uh, I listen to a couple of her albums a lot in the house. Uh, I like loud music. And I like music full of joy. A lot of the Western Christian music today, it sounds like somebody, you know, it, it sounds so mournful. It's, it's a lament. Now, I grew up from my teenage years uh, in a home where my mama was the general manager of a country music radio station. Now, you got to understand, when I was young, country music, it could depress Jesus, Okay. My dog died, my pickup truck broke down. I mean, it was meant to be depressing so that people would drink more alcohol in the honky-tonks, okay? I mean, that's why it was so sad. It was meant to elicit your sad emotions so that you would drink more. Well, you know, I listen to a lot of the Christian music today. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's white boy with guitar or white girl with guitar, and it's so sad. The words may sound good, but if you take the words by themselves, the words look great, but the emotion is sad. Now, Christian music should be loud, and it should raise sounds of joy. <laughs> I like that. 
So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and his brothers, Asaph, the son of Barakiah, and the sons of Mary, their brothers, Ethan, the son of Cushiah, and with him their brothers of the second order, Zechariah, Jezeel, Shemiroth, Jathiel, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Benaniah, Messiah, Mephathiah, Elihu, Milkaniah, and the gatekeepers of Obed-Edom and Jael. And the singers, Hezron, Asaph, Ethan, were the sound bronze cymbals, Zechariah, Aziel, Shemamoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eleb, Messiah, and Benaniah were to play harps according to Alamoth. But Methahiah and Elethlihu, Mechaniah and Obed-Edom, Jael and Azariah were to lead with lyres according to the Shemith. Chenaniah, the leader of the Levites in music, should direct the music, for he understood it. All right, well, who should direct the music? The one who understands it. The one who understands worship. You don't have somebody leading music because he has the nicest voice or the prettiest voice. The person who leads should understand it. They should understand worship. Now, folks, here, this is something you just got to get a hold of. You know, there's a lot of people who want to be worship leaders and they want to be Christian entertainers. And you know what? They sound really nice, but they don't understand worship. Barakiah and Elkaniah were to be gatekeepers for the ark. Shebaniah, Josephat, Nethanel, Amasai, Zechariah, Benaniah, and Eliezer the priest should blow the trumpets before the ark of God. And Obed-Edom and Jael were to be gatekeepers for the ark. So David and the elders of Israel, the commanders of thousands, went up to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. Now, why did God need to help them, help the Levites carry it? <laughs> First of all, have you ever studied the Ark of the Covenant and how much it would have weighed with all of that gold? And the fact that they were in what we would call today Abu Ghash and going up the mountain to Jerusalem, walking? Carrying? God had to help them. That would have been a heavy load to carry. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen. So David had his clothes on. And also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, the singers, and Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers. And David wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets and cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. Now there's that loud music again. Um, worship music is loud, okay? And as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David dancing and rejoicing, and she despised him in her heart. Now, in other places we read that because of this, she was barren. She did not give birth for the rest of her life. This was a woman who valued dignity over worship. Now, let me just park here for a minute. You notice the result of valuing dignity over worship? She was barren. There are many churches today that have to gather people. They, they cannot give birth to souls. They are barren. 
They are gather, they are barren gatherer churches because they value dignity over worship. Now, brothers and sisters, I will be the first to admit the king did not look very dignified that day. And she had been raised in a home with King Saul where it was all about the pomp and circumstance and the dignity. Remember, he didn't seek the ark for 60 years. Okay? Remember that. David loved the presence of God. And David, David was just happy in the presence of God. Now, some of you businessmen, forgive me, you need to get over your dignity. Oops, sorry. Let me say it again. Some of you businessmen just need to get over your dignity. And you just need to throw your hands up in the air. And if you don't know how to dance very well, it doesn't matter. Do it at home. But dance before the Lord. Rejoice before the Lord. Some of you need to go into your businesses right now. Some of you have shops and shopping malls and they're not even open yet. You need to go into that shop, put on some good, loud worship music. It's got a good beat to it. Get a hold of Sinatch, get a hold of some of her stuff. And just go in there and dance before the Lord in that business. Just say, God, you gave me this business. And just walk into that office. Your employees don't need to be there. Just walk into that shop. Walk into those offices. Nobody else but there, but maybe you and your Asawa and maybe your kids. And as a family, just with total abandon, worship God. <laughs> oh, and watch God inhabit the praises of his people. And watch God turn things around for you. Me, I want a heart like David's. I want to be like David. I don't want to be all stuffy and dignified and everybody looks at me with great respect. And uh -huh. I want to be a person that the Heavenly Father looks at and says, ah, look at my little boy down there. He's having fun rejoicing before me. We'll see you tonight. And again, tonight it's going to be 7 o'clock. Sister Bev and I are going to come into you live. We're going to interrupt our our first Corinthians series, and for the rest of this week, I just want to work on your hearts to get the discouragement out of your heart. So we'll see you live tonight, seven o'clock.